A.J. Hartley is a British-born American novelist. He holds a Ph.D. in English literature and was a Shakespeare professor before becoming a full-time writer. And his writing spans multi-genres, thrillers, fantasy, historical fiction, young adult, you name it. He's published over 25 novels, including bestsellers like Steeplejack, Guardian, and Secret Machines, co-authored with Tom DeLonge. That series blends science fiction elements with nonfiction research into real-world scientific and historical mysteries particularly those related to the UFOs and advanced technologies. His first book, With DeLong, Chasing Shadows, was released in 2016, and it explores the idea of hidden aerospace programs, reverse engineering of alien technology, and the potential government cover-up of extraterrestrial phenomenon. Very thankful for the time I got to spend with AJ, and the trickster helped me out by breaking my mic stand right before we got started. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? <laughs> the trickster just did this to me, man. I have this, this, I've been using this for like three years and literally right before you got on here, it just broke. It broke right in half and fell and hit me in the lap. <laughs> I got it every, I started recording earlier too. So you can actually see it. I'll have to play it back. I have a little tiny one. I'm going to grab real fast, but I'm like, really? After all these years, man, this, this piece of metal just decides to snap in my lap. Hmm. That's how it goes. Did I see the cover of trinity flash up on the screen behind you there for a second yeah yeah i i uh <laughs> I, I was like oh yeah but i wanted to preface it like i know there's probably things that you're not allowed to talk about and you're that are off limits so just let me know like hey man can't do that mm. yeah i mean as far as trinity is concerned we've been going back and forth a little bit about when um we, we're supposed to start talking about that properly so yeah i mean um the i i actually i heard some stuff today actually uh, tom is in australia now oh right with um blink cool cool so um and i think he's gonna he's in australia and then new zealand and then south america so i don't i don't know if he's coming back to the states sure at, at some point before april right uh, so i don't know when he and I will sort of meet in person next. I mean, we do most of our stuff by phone and email and such. Yeah. Um, but um, so, yeah, I, I, I think there are there are official planned, you know, releases yes. for Trinity that I, that I'm not supposed to preempt. <laughs> <laughs> well. I completely understand. I, I've, I'm such a nerd that I've been in, like, I've gotten every single one of the preprint, uh, preprints, um, you know, autographed by you and Tom through. All, all right, cool. All, yeah. So I have those sitting upstairs and, and I love those and I love getting, you know, the post prints and checking them out and seeing what changed, you know, like 300 mm -hmm. pages I'm trying to figure out and it's here and there, but there wasn't, I'm sure there wasn't that massive of a difference between the two. Right. I mean, that those post, those preprints that are, you know, the actual fine, not final book cover and that you and Tom signed and numbered and sent out. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't massive changes. They, they right? came pretty late in the process. I mean, I, I, I was, I was actually looking at um, the first secret machines book which I guess has been out eight years now. Yeah, eight years. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, the amount of time. I, I I don't know when exactly Tom and I started working together, but it must have been, he must have reached out about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. which is a long time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, because the books, you know, especially the Secret Machines books took a long time to write and, and, and get in shape, not least because they're 
big books. Oh, right, right. Um, and then, you know, usually the book has to go in about six months before release, and mm -hmm. it's pretty much locked from right. that point. I mean, there was a tiny little thing that occurred to me about Trinity that um, I contacted them um, a few couple of weeks ago about adding a tiny, tiny thing. Right. And even even though the book is not due out until June, we I had to get like special permission from the publisher wow. to tweak even a sentence. Really? Mm. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. So that so that pre-published review is is pretty thorough then when it hits right i'm sure that's pretty yeah i mean you know i've had books with other presses that they have had for two years before release really mm. is it that legal stuff or is it just like uh, no no it's just traditional publishing is a very slow moving business slow in, in a lot of ways both in terms of the sort of day-to-day -day operation mm -hmm. also the sort of the speed or lack thereof in which they adapt to new technologies. Oh, really? So like, so, a, lot, like a lot of the application, is it everything like that as far as? All, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, it, it, it's only been, I'm trying to think. There are some publishers who until maybe 10 years ago were still sending out copy notes on in pencil. Really? On, on printed paper, yeah. On manuscript, like just in the yeah. in the margins. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So, you know, some of it is, you know, the, the everything gets locked down and then it has to go through all kinds of um physical preparation in terms of the the production of the books, because we're talking about traditional publishing. So right. they are producing physical books. Right. You know, as opposed to a lot of small presses or self-publishing, where in real terms the book doesn't exist until you buy it, right? Because right. all they're doing is producing, is uploading electronic files, and then you know you click on it on Amazon, and then the book gets generated, right? And then it's printed in three days, and it's in your in your hands, which is exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is amazing. I mean, that's, I mean, you've started how many years ago? I mean, you've written 25 books at least, right? <laughs> uh, 25 novels. 25 uh, novels, yeah. Yeah, uh, and some academic books and such as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I've been, I mean, I've been writing pretty much all my life. I've I've been publishing fiction mm -hmm. since two thousand and five. Wow. Um. So, but I've been writing a lot longer than that. And some of the books that came out um, since two thousand and five were books that I'd written before. You know wow, that right, uh, right. Because, you know, I mean, I wrote, I think, I think I had eight complete novels before anything was accepted for publication. Wow. And again, wow. that's a sign of the times, you know, nobody yeah. would do now. They would publish, they would self-publish it or they would find a very small press or something to handle it. But in those days, you either, you know, got a, a major press or you got nothing or, or you were like printing it out of your garage and, <laughs> yeah. you know, the vanity press stuff. People right. Just, but those things never sold. So yeah, that's amazing. I mean, like you said, self-publishes now. I mean, they, they basically Amazon sets it up to where you can just upload the file, and then there you are, right? It's the Kindle edition. It's everything else, and then it prints as it as it sells. I mean, yeah, and you know, I'm, and in, and in many ways, that's that's a great thing. And I have a lot of friends who do it. Of course, you know, the AI stuff is now going to make this 
you know, nightmarish because <laughs> a lot of the big companies don't seem to be wanting to police the use of AI in writing. So, I mean, I, I found out recently that I think a dozen of my books had been illegally pirated. Really? And fed into uh, one of these AI language generators so that people, so that they become part of a massive database so people could produce books in my style or whatever, you know, wow. and the, and the, um, you know, the, 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 the machine learning was growing out of my work and the work of other people for which of course we get nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that, that's got, it's very, it's gotta be massively frustrating. I mean, obviously the writer strike, everything that happened in Hollywood over the, you know, the fall and like, I can totally, I can totally see it. Um, you know, uh, just for the first time ever, I've started to write a book, believe it or not. I've been saying it for years, for years and years. And I've always, you know, started two, three, four or five pages, put it away, come back, you know, did something else, put it away. And then finally something ha hit me in like January 2nd. I said, that's it. I'm just going to dedicate my time every day. And no matter what, if I put, you know, five words or 5,000, I'm just going to do it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting to see how the process goes. And, you know, there's, you know, everything I've, I've read and, and you've actually written books about how to write and <laughs> like, and how to get published and things like that, you know, and there's so many, so many great advice out there. And, you know, for me, it, it just, um, it, it's, it's interesting to see how every writer is different. And I'm sure based on you, your breadth of work, I mean, you're all over the place. You have genres all over. You have, you have, age, you have eight, you know, you write for different ages, you write for different mm -hmm. everything. And it's, it's amazing. And I'm trying to write for just this one thing. It's basically my, my experiences with, you know, um, uh, the Freemasons and and ufology and how that all kind of comes together and, and what right. I've seen throughout these years. And I'm trying to clamp, clamp that together, but AJ, you've got like this massive <laughs> amount yeah. of experience. And like, how, how do you like narrow that down when you're, when you're writing for a specific novel, like do you, without letting creep in, or do you just let it go and just say, that's just the, the way it is. Cause it's you, <laughs> it's, it's all you. Right. So. Well, yes. Um, I mean, I should start by saying, I would not advise anybody to do this. It's it's a it's a bad idea. And if you're trying to if you're trying to make a living as a writer, right. you know the the one basic rule is you stick to what people know you for, right? Gotcha. So yeah. Because what people mostly want is more of the same. Right. Right. And I have never done that. Uh, <laughs> partly because, well, a couple of reasons. I mean. As a as a person, I've I always read widely. I always right, read right. lots of genres. Yeah. So it never occurred to me that I would only write one thing. You know. Right. I, right. When I first pub my first published novel was a thriller, mm -hmm. sort of archaeological mystery thing. Yeah. And I remember talking to my agent, and she was like saying, "So you're a thriller writer?" And I'm like, "Wait, what? No." Just pigeonholed you and, right there, right? Just like immediately put you well, in the box. Because, and she knew, particularly because we had tried an, an, a few books. I'd been with her a long time. Mm -hmm. and we tried a couple of different books before that one landed. Okay. And so she knew that I didn't just write thrillers. But what she was saying is, okay, so now this is what you're going to be. And I'm like, well, uh, I have this, you know, fantasy adventure thing that I've been sitting on. Right. So, uh, you know, as I have said many times, uh, I'm a, an agent's nightmare because <laughs> they want you to, you know, anybody involved in the business wants you to do one thing and, and for really good reasons. Right. And I think, you know, this was particularly true when everybody was buying their books in physical bookstores, you know, that if I had a book in the mystery section, mm -hmm. 
and I also had a fantasy book that was in a completely different part of the store. Right, right. And if people knew me for mystery, they wouldn't even know the other stuff existed. They'd be looking for your the title on, on right there right. in that section. Right. That's amazing. Now, you know, since people buy more books online now, you know, you go to Amazon and you can see everything by author or something like that. So it's easier. Right. But, you know, it's still, when you think about the really big selling authors, most of them do one thing. Yeah, you're right. They don't really tread outside of their genre at all. I Until mean, they are so spectacularly successful that they can step out of the line somewhat. But even then, you know, not that much. Right. And if I say to you, you know, Stephen King or J.K. Rowling or Tom Clancy or whoever, you immediately know what those books are. Right, right, right. No. Exactly. Um, it's still, it's so, still yeah. for a loop when they go outside of that, though. I mean, and it's interesting because those are the ones that I find even more interesting because I feel like as a writer, you have to stretch yourself. I mean, if you've been doing that genre forever, you'd have to stretch yourself to kind of blend in or, you know, yeah. write to that that genre. And, and you might not even be that good at it, but everything right. I've re read that you've done, it's awesome. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, mean, I mean, I, I, I go with what I want to do for the most part. And, yeah. you, know, there was a, you know, I didn't write children's lit until I was a parent. Right. Exactly. And then, you know, the process of being a father and watching my, my son and remembering what it was like to be a child and sort of discover the world through books and made me want to, you know, write stuff that was aimed at, at him or, or for him. Right, right. And then, you know, I moved from middle grade to, to young adult and, and such as he got older. And, and I sort of stay in young adult just because I like doing it. But yeah, um, but yeah I still do adult and everything else as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because usually when I come up with the idea for a story, immediately I know what the genre is and what the age group is based on the core premise. You wow. Know? that's So you kind of just narrow that down into this is where it's going to stay and there's not a lot of... That's a, It would be a really tough thing to shift midway through, you know, um, yeah, yeah. because genre and age group really affect voice. And character so, development and then yeah, um, progression yeah. and things like so that. So you'd have to, it, you know, if, if you got halfway through and like, oh my God, this is not a romance, it's a thriller, then you have to go back to the beginning and start. <laughs> you know? Well, but you did an amazing job, I think, in, in you know, the Secret Machine series as, as far as, I mean, that applies, I think, to a whole list of, of readers anyway. I mean, from people that are um, new into the whole uh, genre of ufos and you know the paranormal to people that are into thrillers and, and you know mm -hmm. i mean honestly it's a, it's a huge page turner i mean my mom is an avid reader i, I got that from my mother she's amazing she, uh, we saw it with a book in her hand and she always encouraged me to read and you know from an early age and you know she's really not into the whole ufo thing but she you know indulges me right so i gave yeah. her the secret machines books and she was like you know, she's, a, she's a, a massive reader. She'll get a book at the end of a couple of days in a week. And she loved it. I mean, there's the story progression and the character progression, you know, how it all goes. And, and, um, I think the thing that bothered her was like, well, she was like, well, how much of that is true? <laughs> she's like, that was a great story. I'm turning pages, you know, I mean, it was great, great characters and everything. And I'm like, mom, that's the great part. I mean, I know some of this through all the lore throughout the years and, and things like that, but the way you the way you did it to, to kind of make it an approachable topic for people that hadn't that really had no interest in it I, I believe I think for my mom's you know she like I said she indulges me but that had to be really hard to do as well right to write mm -hmm. in a way um, especially with the jumping of timelines and uh, you know progressing to different parts of the world it was kind of uh, it was hard for you and I think the interludes that you did were awesome too to kind of 
bring it back around. I mean, was that something that was really difficult to build, like build upon that? I mean, I mean, I think, okay. So a couple of things. So first, um, one of the reasons Tom went with me in, in the first place Mm -hmm. was because I was not a sci-fi writer. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and because he didn't want the sort of Star Trek, he kind of feel to, um, not, and I, obviously I don't mean that in a critical way at all, Yeah. but he wanted specifically, he said that he was interested in, in working with me because I had written thrillers, which in many ways were historical fiction or were grounded in, in anchored in, in a, in a real place and or places and, and built around real people. And that's what he wanted, you know, right, right. Um, because of, of the way he was approaching the, the subject and he didn't want it to feel like, you know, sci-fi. Right. Right. The, so other, thing fantasy, the, yeah. <laughs> the other thing was that when we first started talking um, and I was like, okay, so let me, let me, understand what this project is you know <laughs> and, and i'm like so what period is it set in and he said all of them and i was like <laughs> what and i'm like and where is it set and he's like everywhere and I was, <laughs> you're like i'm not these boxes you're checking for me aren't happening here but <laughs> yeah so you know i think a lot of the initial conversations that we had um were about the kind of architecture of the thing, you know, trying to figure right. out how to take this sort of massive sweeping story that was going to sort of be leaping from place to place and period to period and find a way to to anchor it and provide continuity and sort of a kind of personal, you know, character-driven sense of how the story was going to evolve so that it didn't feel, it didn't feel like a lecture. You know, yeah. Like and it, somebody I, saying, and then this happened, and then this, <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right. Well, it was um, very personable. I think the the character development was amazing because you cared about the characters and you wanted to see the progression and, and how they went and then in the workings between them. You know, and and I know that that didn't work for for everybody. I've seen people say, oh, I couldn't follow all these different stories, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, I I can't help you. That's what it is. <laughs> well, it's to me the way it writes. It's almost like a screenplay in my mind. I'm, I'm looking at it, it. It almost feels like you could actually use that as like as a cut scene to you know if if it was a movie score, right? It was just here and then here and then this would you know it, it felt like that to me. I mean, in my mind anyway, that you're going from this thing and you brought it all back together. I mean, it all comes back together to make a coherent story. Obviously, throughout the books, um, and I think that was it was hard. I mean, it's hard for uh, I mean, just following the UFO lore for me was like, you know, you see, not this, not my autograph copy that I have from you, but you know, like I said, the other guy highlighted all over the place and notes and mm-hmm. post-it notes stuck to it because you know, it was, for the things for me, it was fun to go back and go, okay, I know about this, but then how do I, how do I put that in context of some of the true things that I know about or, or some of the UFO right. lore, you know, and how do I put that in and look at it for, and it gave me a completely different perspective, that human perspective that I think is missing from that. Oh, okay. And 19, you know, 46, this happened and whatever. Right. That's just, like you said, it's just basically a, a newsreel or something, right? How do you get that human element into it? And I think you did an amazing job doing it. And well, it, thanks. I, I appreciate it. Obviously, you know, the it's partial, it, 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 as you say, it, it's not an attempt to cover everything connected to this particular issue or phenomenon. Um, and and some of the time, at least, 
the decisions about what we're going to explore and what we weren't going to explore did come down to questions of how can we make the story work on a character level, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the sort of the human side of, of things ultimately is what centers any story, any novel, you know, Um, and and it's part of what makes it different from, from a documentary or, or something which specifically intends to, to teach you stuff. You know, so th- yeah. this is more of a, a hybrid kind of project. Well, yeah, I mean, and I don't, I mean, aside from historical fiction, which is what you kind of already had, um, you know, in your, in your belt to, before that happened, I think the topic, I mean, would change, but I mean, it, it had to be really hard to blend the, the, the fiction with the nonfiction in a way that was believable for the character arc. Right. I think that because some I, of the, I, it's hard. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, and I mean, I do write fantasy and, and I have done some sci-fi, you know, since mm-hmm. the key with a lot of that stuff, I think is to make sure that as much as is obviously real, mm-hmm. um, as possible is anchored as specifically as possible. So that when you start pushing into areas that are either made up or a little outside mo- most people's realm of what is real, they will go with you because you've already created a a solid grounding, right? And I think it's one of the problems with some sci-fi and fantasy that the gap between our reality and the reality being represented either on the page or on the screen is so massive that we don't really engage with the characters. And and I think it's one of the reasons that a lot of movies, sci-fi movies are a tough sell in mm-hmm. Hollywood because they assume it's nerd fodder, you know, and that nobody yeah. really, ordinary people don't care about this stuff because frequently they're made badly, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and all we get is special effects and, you know, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know what we're supposed to care about. Well, yeah, I think that, and then you look at the stories that are, that do blend the sci-fi with, you know, the, the human elements that those are massively popular. Look at the star Wars and, you know, and, and things of that genre. Yeah. You, you think of that, how that the human or the character connection to, to, you know, that place is, is way more. Well, even more with things. something like close encounters, right. Right. In, right. The things that are absolutely embedded in, in a reality that we see and recognize, you know, right. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I grew, I was a star Wars fan as a kid, you know, and, mm-hmm. Um, but I've lost patience with a lot of that stuff. It just seems, I mean, it's space opera and Mm -hmm. I, and that's fine and it's fun, but it's like with the superhero movies, there's a point at which I just don't care. (laughs) You know, there's so much rehashing and things. And I'm just like, I don't, what am I pulling for here? I I don't know. This bears no resemblance to any reality that I live in. And there's a point at which, and and again, this is not a criticism. I know people love this stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. A lot of friends who are hardcore Star Wars fans. Fine. Great. You know, great. But I can take it or leave it. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I'm I'm right there with you. I think is that once it became way more commercialized and they just started spinning things off just to make money, it just got to the point mm-hmm. where it's like I can't I can't follow any of this stuff or the rehashing. The interesting part of that, the arc of the superhero that you that you mentioned was you know when you have the other movies, um, 
uh, what was the Will Smith movie where he played like the uh, the superhero that was drunk all the time and oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Hancock, I think uh, was the Hancock, name of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that took that genre and kind of flipped it on its head, where it was just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was kind of interesting to see that um, disparity between the two because it's not what you would expect out there saving the day. It's just this yeah. guy who doesn't doesn't care. In you know, it was interesting to see how that worked, but that's um, it, it's it's a whole genre unto itself. Like you said, that that's the superhero genre. <laughs> that's walls and walls and walls of comic books and and things like that and mm-hmm. uh, you know i i don't know i think it's got to be a, a big switch but graphic novels are, are part of that i mean have you ever gotten into any of the graphic novels or ever uh, approached any of that in any you mean point? as a as a writer as a writer right yeah have you thought about i, that I haven't all? i mean there are a couple of things that that i have that i think you know could could make decent graphic novels and i've sometimes thought about it because the film and TV industry really likes graphic novels because they show them what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> and since nobody in Hollywood reads a damn thing, um, <laughs> they want pictures, right? Yeah. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, but but that's true. It does feel like that sometimes. Um, yeah. And especially, especially with fantasy and sci-fi, they, they want the visuals, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and, and I, I, I really, I, I'm a very visual person as well. So, you know, I, I get that. And I, I really, I enjoy them, but um, when it comes to reading, I've always been a book person, yeah, and rather than a graphic novel person or a comic book person. And I, you know, it, it, there's a weird paradox with with comic books that because they're very expensive to produce, and for the most part, they don't sell in large numbers. So a lot of publishers consider them very risky. Mm, okay, okay, um, but when they do well they do spectacularly well and uh, frequently they do generate movies and tv so you know but for most publishers i think they still consider them a risk and you need the right visual look and you know that usually that means you come with a partnership and i just i know some comic book illustrators and things but um you know the the prospect of 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 coming up with the, a way of producing a comic book and figuring out how people get paid, <laughs> the amount of work they have to do before you see. I mean, yeah, I'm used yeah. to it with writing. I'm, right. I'm used to the idea that I, I write for six months or something and get nothing. Yeah. Then hopefully we sell the book or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But with, with I don't know, with, with comic books, pay, paying illustrators what they are worth, you know, again, as opposed to AI. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I'm all in favor of making sure that people get paid properly, but I don't have the money to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, it, I mean, some of you, I mean, if somebody approached you on some of your other work and said, Hey, I mean, make this a gra- graphic novel. I mean, Cathedrals of Glass, for example, I mean, that, the, that series is rad. I mean, that could be a potential graphic novel when you look at it in, in that aspect. I mean, yeah. Um, and again, particularly as a step towards some other kind of adaptation, there are some things in the works. Oh, careful <laughs> <laughs> what I say. Um, okay. Okay. But all these things are very preliminary and they can, you know, they in, in, yeah. in publishing, people, everybody says no until somebody says yes. Mm-hmm. And in film and TV, everybody says yes until somebody says no. Huh. And so that, you know, you send a book in and you get rejection after rejection after rejection, and then you get one acceptance and that's it, job done. And in film and TV, 
you send something in and everybody bends over backwards telling you that it's the greatest thing they've ever read. And this goes on for months and months and months. And then the person who writes the check says no. Wow. And that's the project dead. Wow. So I'm wary of saying much about any of these, any of the things that are supposedly in development because they can be axed at any point. And sometimes they get axed after they've been made. Wow. So there's like, it's completely made. It's sitting there and it's just like, we're going to put that. And they're like, yeah, we, we don't think it's a good idea to release this for whatever reason. So that's amazing. And then you just got to look at this body of work and go, okay, because it's probably under contract. You can't do anything with it. You can't take it anywhere else. That's also true. Yeah. That, that it can get tied up in, I mean, I have a series called steeplejack, which um, has been sort of optioned repeatedly by the same company now for a number of years. And uh, you know, and every, Every year we'll go through some new sort of development stuff. And will it go anywhere? I don't know. I, I hope so. I would love to see it. But um, I have no control at mm-hmm. all. Wow. You know, um, Hollywood works with its own people. Right, right. And according to its own sort of logic. And all I can do is sort of, you know, uh, provide input or feedback if they want me to or get out of the way if they don't. Hmm. Wow. It's gotta be a, that's gotta be hard as a, as a, as an artist to see your, to see your work and just be kind of, um, taken over in, in a way and kind of just, you know, yeah, be you know, on the sidelines watching it as, as it changes or it doesn't or it unfolds. I mean, I mean, yes, except of course the books still exist. Right. Right. Of course. I mean, yeah. If a, if a movie comes out of one of my books and I think they mess it up or they do a bad job or whatever, yeah, um, the book still exists. I, right. I mean, and to you know, that's why <laughs> that's why people think of books becoming movies as the su- supreme mark of success, right? Because mm. that's where they become massive and mainstream, and it's where you make the most money, right? Because right. they pay you to go away. <laughs> they pay you to take your work. They now own the copyright, and they can do with it whatever they want. Right, right. So, thank you. Here's here's your check to have a good have a good vacation. See you later. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And without any input, probably or anything. I mean, right. Fine. Exactly. Just, thank you. Have yep. a good day. Well, I mean, and at some point, I mean, it, people that it can't do other genres. I mean, like you said, you're pigeonholed, but. AJ, you can do anything, man. You're all over the shop. They can, t- they can take whatever your books and, you know, you can keep going, uh, you know, right. Uh, teen or young adult or whatever, uh, and keep going through multiple genres. And I think you've not, you've not put yourself in, in a peg that where you're, you're going to be messed around with, which is rad, but you know, I think that's, I mean, I, I guess, I, I mean, you know, as I said, the downside is that I'm not associated with one thing. Right. Right. You know, so, um, that probably hurts me in in some form. But, you know, what I was going to say before is that unlike a lot of writers, I had the luxury of having another job. Oh, yeah, right. You know, so I wasn't dependent on the sales of my books to pay my mortgage or put food on the table for my family, you know. Right, right. I was a professor. So um, uh, that was sort of freeing. It meant that I could write what I felt like writing at any given time. Whereas, you know, sometimes people get trapped yeah, yeah, into right. producing more and more and more of 
a particular kind of book, whether they care about it or not. I mean, you know, it's like going back to Arthur Conan Doyle trying to kill Sherlock Holmes because he hated him so much, you know, <laughs> um, and being forced by his reading public to keep producing stories that he didn't want to write. Right, right. And it's like, it's, it's just like, it's almost like the band, the thing too, you know, when you get a famous band, you get that one, that one radio hit you never want to play. Right. So you play it at the, everybody wants to hear it. So you do it as the encore because you just don't want yeah. to you do it again. Yeah. It, it's the same kind of methodology, I think. And, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. you become a, you become shackled to that one thing of, of your work, but yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I, I think that's, I think you should do it because you enjoy it anyway. And I think that kind of, that kind of comes through no matter what in, in, in any art form, really. I mean, writing music, anything, I mean, like you said, I'm writing mine. I don't know how many years it's going to take me pop it out, but I don't care. Like I, like you said, I'm not worried about putting food on the table. I just kind of want to get the ideas out and, you know, maybe have somebody go, oh, that's kind of cool. Or what the hell did I just read? Uh, right. <laughs> either way, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be out well, there. And, you know, and that, that was always been one of the good things about working with Tom is that he, recognized as an as as an artist himself that the books were only going to work if i was writing something that i was passionate about and personally engaged in and so he's always been always been quick to sort of say you know here's some sort of broad parameters take it wherever you want to go that's awesome do what you like kind of thing. And obviously we then, we talk a lot as we go, but it's right. important to him that, that I feel really sort of, you know, invested in the story. And and for me, that means characters and what have you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and it shows that, and I, and I love how the, where some of the things that, you know, it's so descriptive, like we were talking about anchored in reality. I think I remember either reading or hearing an interview early on when, when the first book came out where I think, you um and correct me if I'm wrong. I could be making this all up. <laughs> that you um it was for one of the the fighter plane. I think it was a A10 or maybe a Warhawk. But you actually talked to an actual pilot about how mm -hmm. that would work and and you know what it's like being up there and you know circling around and you know getting into position and things like that. Am, yeah, am it was right? a tornado. Tornado. Okay, yeah. So that yeah. was that, that was right. You actually talked to somebody who flew one, right? Who knew yeah. everything yeah. about that plane, right? I mean, one of the fun things, I mean, yes, when um, usually I can find people somewhere who know what I don't, what I need to know. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny when you're talking about, because, you know, I, I'm not a pilot. Uh, right. But when you, you can find out a lot about the specs of an aircraft and things like that, but mm -hmm. the experience of what it feels like to fly a particular aircraft, that's a lot harder to get from just right. reading, you know, um, a spec sheet, right? Yeah, right. Or Wikipedia pages, or whatever, <laughs> or the or the equivalent thereof. You know, yeah. but being able to sit down with an actual pilot and say, okay, so you've flown a lot of different aircraft. What makes this particular aircraft unique, and why? You know, yeah. Um, I remember, I remember a pilot, the pilot that I was talking to about the tornado, and I can't remember this if this phrase actually made it into the into the book. But at one point, I remember him saying the tornado was an easy aircraft to get behind in, where meaning that it was moving so quickly, and it was so temperamental and volatile that unless you were constantly, you were absolutely focused, you could very easily lose control of it. And I thought that was a really interesting way of talking about it. Oh yeah, definitely. That is really awesome to get that perspective to get mm -hmm. that that tight of a 
uh, based in reality, somebody who actually lived it. That's, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And then, and that shows, I mean, you could tell the whole entire part of that book when you, with the way you wrote it, it was just great. Um, was it yeah, it, the, the acknowledgements pages of those books should be really, really long, but a lot of the people, you know, especially in the military or in intelligence, uh, intelligence services specifically ask not to be identified by name. Yeah, that was one of the one of my questions actually too. Was was that hard? I mean, it, I'm sure it opened you up to uh, a, a different world, right? Where where all this information was, you know, grounded and and based to help base your the storyline and everything. Was it hard to take all of that as at face value, or or um, you know, in a way to find the arc of the character and bleed it in? Or was it just like this dump where you get all this information and then you have to kind of sort it out and go, okay, this is going to work. This is not going to work. And then, you know, yeah, I mean, there were, there was certainly, you know, occasionally Tom and I would swap information and I would sort of find myself thinking either I don't believe this, right. Or I don't know how to sort of work it coherently into the story. Right. And in those situations, it was it was like um, we both had the right to blackball any idea that we weren't both entirely behind. You know, well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Because so, it, if it didn't work, I mean, at least you had the the premise. And I'm sure there's part, part things that you're like, this absolutely has to work for the story. And he was like, this absolutely has to literally be in the book for the for the story to get through. So it's interesting yeah. to see. But that, so, did you have a, a a, a large list or did you did you have you know basically like you said if you had the wikipedia but you had to talk to somebody or did tom kind of just offer up people or did you say hey i need to talk to somebody about this or you know was, um, it, was it hard for like a all bit of those both. things yeah it was a bit of both i mean he had contacts and remember as i said this was nearly 10 years ago now so right, right. a lot of stuff that we have talked about subsequently in sort of uh, not me and him but i mean a lot of what people are talking about as fairly common public discourse was not common public discourse 10 years ago. Not at all. It wasn't until 2017, 16, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, he was filtering stuff that from sources that he was talking to and passing things on to me. And then, you know, and I was doing, I had, you know, I think as a novelist, you're always doing research. Right. And, um, and as a university professor, I usually can find if it were talking about material, mm-hmm. concrete things where there's an area of, of specialist knowledge, I can usually find somebody somewhere at a university and approach them and say, I need to know about this. Right, right. Most most scholars, I think, are usually delighted to talk about things that the general public generally don't care about. So <laughs> and, and in the case of, you know, for example, that pilot. Mm-hmm. That was a somebody I didn't know, but mm-hmm. I was connected to through a, a friend of mine who was um, a marine pilot. Um, that, that's and, cool, and, and and she was able to to hook me up with with people who she knew who flew those aircraft, and you know, so that's awesome. Yeah, to just get down to the core of like you know what mm-hmm. these people know and how to convey that, and but yeah, I mean, some of that stuff you. you in retrospect, if you wrote that book now, knowing the public's, um, ex- you know, the public sphere as it is, would it be a much different book? Do you think? Would it be? Would it be? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think 
Yes, I think, and it's one of the reasons that this process has sort of um, dragged, dragged is not really the, the right word, but why it's taking so long to progress because right. the conversation is constantly changing. And as I say, the process of producing the books is so slow, takes so long. Right, right. And even then when it's finished, it then sits at the publisher for whatever, six months or something. And the way things have been in the last few years – Things that you think you're presenting as radical new information is yesterday's news by the time <laughs> the book comes out, right? Right. Yeah. So, so is it's tricky, and and uh, you know, I said to you before we did this interview that uh, I specifically don't talk about um the 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 phenomenon in terms of here's what's real, here's the real stuff that we put in the book, right, 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 that, because it's not my area of expertise and that's tom's domain but also because one of the reasons we were able to write these books and get people to tell us things was because they were works of fiction yeah and we were able to say no we will not say this is exactly true the the this is a story. Yeah. It's a story that's grounded in a lot of things that a lot of people are talking about now. Right. But, um, you know, yeah, part of my uh, position is sort of saying not underlining, oh, here's the key thing that you should be paying attention to, you know. Of course, of course. Is because the moment we start doing that, the more they become something different and the more I think we would find it a lot harder to um, to write them. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting to see. And I, I think, I mean, what do you think? Do you think, I, I personally think that those books moved the paradigm of where we're <laughs> at right now. Honestly, I do. I, I think those books help move the paradigm to where where we're currently talking about when congressional the congress is having open mm -hmm. and closed meetings and you know there's language written into law and there's all these things happening i honestly believe that those books pushed that envelope down down the road did you ever have you ever thought about that 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 is part of the of the reason why we well i mean as you said taught, right i mean yeah, yeah this is a sort of a big complicated machine and i think the books may have been one of the sort of wheels or cogs within that machine. Um, uh, so, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it directly influenced people's I, perceptions. I, I, I promise it has. I mean, I've had multiple kinds of conversations with the people that I've met that said, yeah, I read that book and it changed my perception on, on this whole thing. Right. I, I, I looked at it from a different way. I didn't, I didn't, you know, think about it. And I think it was the human element, the way that you wrote it. Um, into a, a relatable manner like you said it wasn't just a here's a fact here's a fact here's a fact this is you know um, a boring documentary this is this is somebody's a character arc and you care about these these characters and you, you want to see how they progress i mean i don't know a day doesn't go by that you probably don't get hounded like where's book three where's book three you know mm -hmm. like everybody wants the the yeah. finale you know the ending of it i mean they because they they fall in love with the story and the characters and like you said it's it's an ever-evolving thing yeah so, and, and and the only thing i can say about that is that there will be a book three but i don't know when yeah yeah um, you know i mean we it's going to come out but 
six six years, six months. Who knows? <laughs> well, right. It, I mean, and and the other thing I've seen a number of people say, you know, the third book is done, and they're just waiting. It's like that's n not true. Right. Apart from anything else, it would be crazy, given what we've just been saying about how quickly the conversation moves to have written the book and then sit on it, because by the time it comes out, it's not going to feel like it has anything like the same edge to it. So no, but it's tied up in all kinds of, uh, of things, including TV development and uh, various other things. So I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting question then as well. Cause I think that, you know, I've seen this in, in other adapt adaptations, you know, to television was when you say they pick it up and it's a series, it, how, you know, how does that influence book, book three? Does that, you know, because eventually you're going to run out. I think what was it? What was it? George Mar Martin. Yeah. I think that. Yeah, yeah, was Game, that of where, yeah Game of Thrones, where they ran out of content and then they just kind of just kept going. And I don't know if that was him or not, or if it was partially yeah. him. Or I mean, that's got to be kind of a kick in the nuts as an author, yeah. right? To be like, okay, well, you bought and all it's my the stuff. Same company. Oh yeah, right. right? Legendary. So. It's the same company. The, the 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 people who are current who currently have secret machines in development are the same people who did Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and and I'm not involved in that at all. Right, right, right. So um, so you know, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, at that point, do you if that happens? I mean, can you just can the book stand alone then? Is like if that series didn't occur. I mean, can you, can you, as an author, write the, the third book or another or fourth or fifth book aside uh, as a separate universe from the, I mean, to the stars owns the copyright. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it, it's up to, up to that company and therefore up to Tom as mm -hmm. to, you know, what we do uh, in terms of navigating those kind of things, but I, I'm not really, you know, connected um as far as i mean the tv people some of the tv people have asked i've had conversations with them mm -hmm. fielding questions about plot issues and, and points yeah. but you know it was a, an option rather than a sale okay yeah um and so and i know that they've spent fairly serious money on developing a pilot script and gotcha. this sort of, but so far as I know, nothing has been filmed. Um, and, you know, I think the, probably the whole thing has to be greenlit before anything gets shot. And um, I don't know if, when that will happen. I, I know that the, I know that they're close to making a decision. Maybe a decision has already been made. Last I heard, you know, within the last few weeks slash a month or two, you know, there were revisions going on about of the pilot and, um, you know, it was still moving forward, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That'd be, that'd be pretty rad to see. I mean, as an author, that'd be kind of cool to see that happen. And, you know, um, yeah, it'd be, yeah. it'd be interesting to see like, you know, when you write for characters and you kind of have this and you describe them in the book, how they look, how, how they act and they feel and to find a, you know, an actor to play that character has got to be interesting to see that come to life on the screen and say, yeah, yeah, I came, I came yeah. up with that. <laughs> I created that. That's that's got to be like you know, like giving birth almost. Like this is my baby, and I'm mm -hmm. giving it to the world, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that when I don't know if you remember when the first book came out, Angels and Airwaves did an EP. Oh, I loved it because it was so tied to the album. I, I thought yeah. it was rad, and I was like, and I remember the first time I heard the title track. I was I was in Tom's car, and mm -hmm. um, we were in in California and he's like, Hey, check this out. 
and he played me some of it. And then I was with them in the studio when they were sort of, and I was like, that's my title. I came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That is so awesome. I mean, we listen to Overload, you know, and like the Manus is, you know, I mean, like the lyrics he wrote for it and the, and mm. it's awesome, you know, but that's kind of how, like, I think for me too, because when you do read it and then you had that whole mixed media part of it, I mean, the, the sound, the soundtrack to the, to the novel, right. I mean, it was kind of rad. I mean, when you mm. go back and forth, you can kind of feel that whole movie-esque kind of vibe to the characters and to the, yeah. especially yeah. the way the EP came out. It was pretty cool. You can kind of feel the progression. I mean, I think it would be a rad show. Honestly, I think it'd be really cool. I think Tom has a very cinematic sensibility, you know, and I think you hear that particularly with Angels and Airwaves um, yeah. in terms of, you know, uh, the, the way that he he sort of sees that musical landscape, I think. But again, I don't even know if he would be involved in the development as far as the Secret Machines TV show is concerned. Right. At that point, it just becomes like its, its, own, its own beast, right? You yeah. just kind of give it up and let it yeah. go. That's... I mean, I think, you know, to the stars are approaching a number of these projects in different ways. Some of them they're looking to hand off to other production companies and letting them just run with them. And some right. of them developing themselves like Monsters of California and things like that, which have more direct involvement. Right. So, yeah. It's kind of like a whole, it's a big conglomerate of a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff going on. I mean, that had to be interesting to see, like you said, when you first came in in the beginning, like 10 years ago, like you're just going, what is going on? Like what? <laughs> trying to wrap your mind around this entire thing going, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a sort of a facing. Um, I remember having conversations with him early on when he said, um, I want this to be a trilogy and I want them to be like six, 700 pages. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I, what am I getting involved in? <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I, I think, but as I say, working with him was really great and yeah. and finding ways into the stories that, that I found, you know, compelling for myself, you mm -hmm. know, I think was sort of crucial. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've heard you say in, 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 at least um, other interviews that you, you put your, one of the interludes is an actual direct story from you. Um, but oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. From when I was in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that kind of, I mean, from everybody I've met and talked to throughout the years, I mean, everybody has a story, but you know, like some people will share it and some people have amazing stories and other people will never tell you if they, even if they had one, but mm -hmm. I really think that un unless you do have your own story or your, your story with the experience that you don't really have a good, um, grounding or grasp in, in any of it really. And it, it mm -hmm. unless you can tell you, you'd be truthful with yourself and say, Hey, yeah, this happened. Right. I don't know what it is, but it happened. And, Right, which was, the, and that was my position, you know, that, I mean, that little anecdote in the first Secret Machines book is, you know, a complete open-ended, non-event kind of thing. It's not, <laughs> not spectacular. It doesn't have plot consequences. It doesn't have, like, some smoking gun pointing to exactly what, you know, I, I was seeing. Mm -hmm. But it was an important thing for me to, to, to include something like that as a way of um putting a character into the story who is a skeptic is right. a realist and doesn't you know automatically think oh my god i'm seeing i'm looking at a ufo and therefore all the stuff that i've heard must be true right um, because 
I think that, you know, most people who read, well, okay. I was going to say most people who read these kind of books are going to be coming from that kind of perspective. I don't know that that's actually true now because these books have become books that get read by UFO folks, you know? Right, right. Um, And I sometimes want to the stars and Simon and Schuster to sort of present the books, not simply targeting that kind of readership. I, I wish mm-hmm. they would position them simply as thrillers or, right, right. um, you know, I, I, I understand why Tom is wary of sci-fi, uh, for this kind of context, but I think in some way, I think one of the issues sometimes is that you feel like you're preaching to the choir. Right. Oh, yeah. The, right. the only people who are reading them are people who are already invested. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and and I would I would like a, a wider audience. Well, yeah, I think that, but I think you kind of did. I mean, what what were the categories that were the the two books listed in? If you would go to Barnes and Noble, I mean, would they be sitting under uh, sci-fi or are they under thriller or are they? I mean, I like I don't think know. they were under. I th- I think Barnes and Noble probably put them under sci-fi. Sci-fi. Right. Yeah. So no. it's kind of like that gray yeah. era, but yeah, but how do you, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, you, you change the cover, you change the marketing a little bit and, you know, I mean, th- that's gotta be uh, interesting to see that effect. You know, you change the cover here and what does it do? Right. I think, have you experienced, I think you experimented with that a little bit in, in a couple of your novels, haven't you? Did changing the covers and, and for different. Oh yeah. I mean, I have with other publishers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have some books that have had radically different covers, especially if you include foreign presses you know right right how does that um, change the overall uh, book like as yeah as- i mean it can change it quite drastically you know that that I've, I've seen you know i've seen books that look like they're in totally different genres yeah especially in in certain you know other countries where it's like here's what's selling right now so we're going to use that and i'm like yeah but this is a romance and and this book is not remotely a romance, you know. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is what we're going with. I'm like, okay. But, but it would be, you know, I mean, it, it, one of the interesting things I think would be, you know, if the Secret Machines TV show actually happens, yeah, how that would change the readership of the books, right? Right, because, because it's a different audience. Yeah. It would be a wider audience. It would have to be, yeah, you would think, right? Because yeah. people will try will dip into a TV show. Mm-hmm. In ways that they wouldn't go to a bookstore and buy a 600, 700 page novel, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of a lot of people who watched the X Files and those kind of shows were not people who were, you know, uh, hardcore ufologists, right? Right. But uh, they have they have that base knowledge behind it to go, yeah, okay, well, yeah. maybe maybe this yeah. is there's something to this, but yeah. Yeah, the whole marketing behind it has to be an interesting um, play. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? How do you? And I think, honestly, I think it does work. Like I said, my mom, you know, she's seventy. I gave her the book. She read it. She loved it. You know. So I mean, it it spans you know ages and, and genres. I think because of the way you wrote it. I don't I don't think it's a a narrowed in. It's it's not sci fi. It's not a thriller. It's everything. It's all of it. You know. And and that, that had to be the hardest. I mean, I keep. A couple of my notes, I keep looking at them like, how the hell did you do that? Like, <laughs> like, like, I think, how did you just, you know, encapsulate all of those things? And then plus, you know, the other elements that are, um, 
you know, kind of mundane. I mean, you, you, you're building the thriller aspects to the, some of the things the characters are getting into, but, but you made it believable because like you said, you're selling a, a, a reality up front that you're based in some data reality. And then, okay, well, mm-hmm. even this is really crazy. It's kind of far-fetched, but you can see it as it goes. And then, it, you know, and I don't think you escalated that to a point where it got to, to be ridiculous through, throughout the series. And I don't think you had, had a plateau. I think it was a, a good cadence throughout the whole thing. And, you know, I think it's, it's a great read. It's one of those ones, honestly, I'm just sitting there going, and when I first got it, you know, I got the preprint and I'm just for like two, day, two days or something, you know, and I'm just like, yep, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm hanging out right here, you know, and just finding little things. And it was great. I, I um, and then Cathedral's the Glass, you know, that, that whole uh, series too. I mean, like, where did that come from? <laughs> where did, how did that, like, how did, how did that whole project happen? Like, what was, what was the, that? Well, it's a weird thing actually, because the first of the cathedrals of glass books was written before I ever talked to Tom. Really? Mm. Oh, no yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I had, I'd written it and, uh, my agent, uh, took it out. And we didn't get like, it was a weird time, a weird market. It was a strange market at the time. And I had just written both the first Cathedrals of Glass book and the first Steeplejack book. Oh, okay. The same same thing about, right. Pretty much around the same time. Yeah. The Cathedrals of Glass book had already sort of gone around and nobody was sort of biting my hand off to take it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the, um, Steeplejack book had been on submission for months and we weren't getting anything. And it and, right. and it was around that time that my agent contacted me and said, so this guy, Tom DeLong, has just reached out to us and is interested in talking to you about this project. And I was like, and, and I literally remember thinking, well, what else have I got going on? I may as well <laughs> talk to this guy, right? He's like, have you ever heard of 182? And I'm like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. 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 So, so I, Tom and I started talking, and my agent was involved in those conversations, and and I was still a little leery. Oh yeah, I didn't know what it. I mean, you know, he had no track record mm-hmm. as a writing person or as a publishing person. So, you, you know, I was like, the one thing I don't want to do is spend like, you know, another year or two of my life working on a project that never happens or it falls right. apart or that doesn't go anywhere. And right. and one of the things about Tom when you talk to him is that he's so charismatic and so excited <laughs> that when you come off the phone, you're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever and it's going to be massive. And, you know, everything yeah. he's saying. And uh, I had conversations with my agent where she was like, this guy should be running for president because every time you talk to him, you know, and then, and then a week goes by and you're like, wait a minute, what? Um, and, and, you know, at one point he's, I remember saying, he's like, yeah, I want you to do three of these three, three, three secret machines books. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't know, man, I just, I, I, I don't know that I c- can commit to this. And he said, what else have you been working on recently? And I ta- I mentioned the Cathedrals of Glass book. It wasn't called that at the right. time. Yeah. I, I mentioned that. And he's like, oh, send me that. So I sent it to him. And he, and I don't know, if like a few days later, he he's like, yeah, I love this. I want three of those as well. 
<laughs> you're like shit <laughs> and i was like well at least that one's written yeah right yeah um yeah. and then and so you know we talked to my agent and eventually i was like okay i, I literally have nothing else going on so i'm gonna do this and let's see how it goes right and within a week of agreeing to do the contract the tour uh got back to me uh through the agent on the steeplejack books and they said we want three of those as well <laughs> so i went from having nothing under contract to having <laughs> nine books under contract <laughs> within the space of about i don't know three or four weeks and it was terrifying <laughs> absolutely terrifying oh my god did you just like yeah. lose your mind at that point you're just like how am i how am i gonna do that i was like i don't know that i can do it. i don't know how i'm gonna do this Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. That's so in that situation, it actually helped that it took tour so long to get that first book out. Right. Because it meant that I wasn't being pushed for book two of the, of the steeplejack series. And I could focus on whatever the hell this secret machines thing was going to be. Right. Did you like simultaneously work on the, the second book? Or cathedral like like was that like an after that you got done with the secret machines and then you're like, I, okay, I, I, i'm not good at working on multiple projects simultaneously unless they are at radically different stages i can do uh, first draft on one thing and do some sort of you know copy edits and things like that on something that's basically done right but i can't develop two new projects at the same time. So I, I, I tend to be quite single-minded and stick to one thing uh, as, as we go. So I can't remember the, what the sequencing of the publication, I don't have them in front of me, in terms of when uh, they all came out. I guess, right. It's real close. It came first, right? Yeah, I think it was. And I think then, it was in between the two, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. And then the first Cathedrals of Glass book, mm -hmm. and then the second Secret Machines book, and then... The second Cathedrals of Glass book, which, you know, initially when I first wrote Cathedrals of Glass, it was intended to be a standalone. It was, right. it was a one and done kind of thing. And it was only when Tom said, I, I think this, this has legs as a series. So now we have to start thinking about where the story goes after the end of book one. So, well, that's and again, you know, that's also, as I say, there's some conversations about some sort of development with that as well. So we'll see. I don't know. It, it's very early days. Well, I mean, I love the story. It's wild. I, and, uh, you know, some of the, the themes, I mean, are, of course, it's kind of hitting right at home with this AI boom and everything that's going on, you know, and, and you look at it that way. Um, mm -hmm. What, you know, some of the, it, it's some of the most amazing part. I mean, the, the, the questions I have on it are kind of wild, but, you know, like the, to me, it sounds like there's some kind of, it, you know, it's more of, of a mind virus in my mind. That's what I keep going back to. It's some kind of mind virus is trying to inject itself or bring itself back to reality and, and use humans to do that. And it, people are saying that about AI all over the place mm -hmm. right now. They're like, how, you know, how is this happening? How is this, you know, is the, is this something where we're trying to build uh, a, te a, a technology to bring about this non-human intelligence to right. do whatever? I mean, how the hell did you, I mean, this was pre- secret machines where you came up with that how did like what inspired you to, to go down this road as far as the the themes you know the uh um, consciousness and you know the tele telepathy yeah. and, and all that like how did you come up with that i have no idea <laughs> i i I, I, I genuinely don't really remember i, I it was um what was this? 
I think it was in part, you know, thinking about even then, you know, the the extent to which our humanity is now technologically mediated, you know. <laughs> right. We we sort of live through things like this, right? Yeah. Um, and through various forms of cyber communication, digital communication, and trying to sort of imagine an endpoint of a society mm. which has become complete so completely invested in that that a kind of morality system has developed around being deeply suspicious of the sort of flesh and blood element of humanity of sort of puritanical right technological puritanism you know yeah which is the and then imagining what would happen if you uh, pulled the plug on that there's you know actually i do know there, there is a an em forster story oh a guy who wrote um uh what forster uh you know um howard's end and uh oh, okay right this sort of end of end of epoch victorian oh man why i'm blanking now on on titles em forster He's mostly, you know, he wrote a lot about sort of empire and, and stuff like that, but he wrote this extraordinary short story mm -hmm. in the, I want to say in the 1920s. Oh, wow. Called The Machine Stops. Huh. Okay. And it was about a society, a human society living in this entirely machine assisted, um, uh, environment, you know, social structures where there was no kind of human interaction anymore. Everything was me mediated by some form of computer. I, I have no idea how he wrote this in the 1920s. Right, right. Um, and as the title suggests, one day it breaks. Right. And the society completely collapses. And but it's about you know what these individuals are uh, are going through and and i think a version i remember reading that as a maybe 15 year old right and, right and it stayed with me and so this was a kind of cathedrals of glass was a kind of rethinking of that story within a kind of technology that was even closer to where we are you know yeah um, and it, in some ways, it was the first real sci-fi I'd written. Is that true? Hmm. Yeah, I think it is. Wow. That's yeah. cool. So, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but like, I don't think you, I mean, reading it, you, you, I wouldn't label it as a, a sci-fi, you know, but of course, maybe I'm coming from the lens of, you know, I'm more interested it's in- It's not, it's not hard sci-fi. It's, right. I mean, it's somewhere in between hard sci-fi and space opera, I suppose, because it doesn't spend a lot of time worrying about the science of how things function and, right. you know, there's gravity on the ship because I say there is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the way it works, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, I th obviously Tom liked it. Did he influence any of the second book? Did he- what, yes, he did. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We talked quite that. a lot about the second book. I remember um, he he had you know some some particular ideas about the sort of mind games that you were talking about before. You know, which become central to the second book in particular, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that emerged from conversations that I had with him. Because as I say, you know, initially there wasn't intended to be a second book. Right. Right. Um, so how do you so, extend this and keep it going? Yeah, and right. yeah. 
Yeah, and we've talked a lot about again that you know the third book has not been done, mm-hmm. um, and we will we'll see. But again, you know, since there is now some conversation about some sort of screen adaptation, we may wait to see if that happens, what direction it kind of goes and and things before committing to the third book. Right, right. The second book reminded me. I know Tom talks a lot, and I, you know, it's pretty interesting hearing some of the things he goes on about but um i know we we spoke about the there's a pyramid underground in alaska that's suppressing consciousness you know worldwide and it's like holy shit where did i hear something like this before (laughs) (laughs) did i read something about this at some point does that have something to do it seems like a book that i read at some point i mean it seems like there's some kind of um you know bleed through there i was like wow that's that's cool so um it's interesting to see the um the parallels of some of the the characters and, and, you know, some of the mm-hmm. stuff that Tom says, but thought that was interesting. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a great novel. I, I think and it's, uh, I highly suggest anybody watching this or listening to this, go, go pick those up as well. I mean, they're amazing. Great Thanks. books. Yeah. I think that's, that's cool. I mean, that, that would be your idea to see as a series as well. I mean, I think, yeah, graphic novel easy, right? Yeah. Like you said that that's a, that's just the, the world descriptions alone would be amazing to see that whole, yeah, end of, end of future kind of monstrosity, yeah, it, you know. He I, there was some talk early on about some sort of more because I remember he commissioned some art to go with the series, and I, there was at least some talk at one point of including a lot of pictures in the novel, but that for whatever reason um, didn't happen, probably for cost issues. Yeah. Um, but. I think he still has some of that art sitting around, so I don't know if maybe there'll be some other edition someday. Well, that's cool. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about ever when you you know when you get to the end of the three series repackaging? Is it is a set? And I mean, is that something you've ever thought about? Is like putting it all together into one big series and then maybe I don't know adding or, or something to that? Is that something that you've ever thought about? Like, is, I mean, I haven't really because I tend to leave the sort of packaging issues and things like that to mm-hmm. the publisher mm-hmm. uh, but i'm sure that given the way that to the stars works something like that would happen at some point yeah right 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 it'd be cool to kind of see you know just all of it together and here's the conclusion and you know here's you know, i mean you don't want it to end but <laughs> there's so many people looking for closure you know oh, yeah. some of these things yeah yeah. And uh, interesting to see how that that whole plays out. But mm-hmm. man, so what you've been working? What have you been working on lately? What's what's going on now? What do you? I mean, it's, you can't talk about it. I mean, we can't talk about Trinity. Kind of, we're not really, we're not supposed to. But yeah, we can't we can't really talk about Trinity. And there's something else that I can't talk about. <laughs> and that and that's yeah. So uh, sorry about that. Um, no, no, that's okay. So there's a couple um, things you can't talk about that you're working on though. That's but that's yeah. yeah the the um. The next thing is, I don't know if you, uh, probably a second in this series, the Hideki Smith. Yeah, uh, it just came out. It just came out, right? It's really Uh, came out. December? Yeah, tail end of of last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that'll be the next thing after I'm done with the stuff that I'm currently working on that I that I can't talk about. <laughs> um, so yeah. Okay. Sorry. So no, no it's worries. okay. No, no, no worries. I I completely understand how that all works. Um, one question I was so I, I jumped on your website and I saw your writing station. Are you still using plywood and and two by fours st- nailed to the wall with your laptop stuck to it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it, it, it intermittent. Yeah. I mean, um, 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it seems like a, if that's your space, that's your space, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's funny. Um, my relationship with the house has changed since I'm now officially retired as an academic, um, which means I'm at home a lot more, but my wife is also retired. So we're now sort of divvying up the house in, in different kinds of ways. Um, so, yeah. This is my room. I'm taking this and you're kind of, yeah. this is where you write. So do you have to, when you get up, do you, I mean, you treat it like a, a, a job, right? You get up, you, you know, you do your morning thing, breakfast, whatever. And then you just, boom, you, you sit down and you just start writing. Is that how, is that how Pretty you Pretty much. It? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Which is why I usually, you know, plan things out. Uh, I don't always, I mean, the thing that I'm working on right now, I only have a kind of sketch mm-hmm. of the shape of the whole thing, but I have to plan out the next few chapters okay. in my head at least and make some notes in advance so that I don't waste time. Um, and you know, I, I yeah, it's a, it, it is a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I, I don't think, I think people sometimes who are not writers mystify the process a little bit yeah. and think it's all about sort of inspiration and, and what have you. And hopefully there's some of that as well, but there's a lot of work, a <laughs> lot of craft, you know, um, right, right. You would never, a cabinet maker would never say, well, I don't feel inspired to build this cabinet today. <laughs> so, so I'm like, not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you get your tools out and you build it. Right. Right. Uh, and right. the same is true with, with writing. I think that I, I come from a, a very working class background. And so mm-hmm. I have a, a fairly utilitarian attitude to constructing these things. And, you know, what you're producing is first draft. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be great, and it's going to require various kinds of editorial polish and and rethinking. But sometimes you just have to pound out the words, and I think this is part of the 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 lure of the AI, mm-hmm. which I find quite scary, because you know people are clearly looking at this as just the the I want to be a novelist, so I'm going to use some AI tool to basically produce a book for me, and I'll stick it up on on Amazon. And I worry that the reading public will not care or right. will not be able to distinguish that between between that and stuff that people have spent a lot of you know time working on. And of course, you know, most of it will be crap. <laughs> Well, yeah. and I think like we going back to what we talked about, I think that your passion and your, I don't know, the soul is the only word that comes to mind, comes through when, when you are creating art and, and mm. writing and writing is an art, music is an art, painting is an art, you know, all of these things are art, sports to some extent are an art, you know, yeah. when you put your, your heart and mind and your soul into something that, that really shines through. And I haven't, I haven't gotten any of that experience looking at any type of AI generated text or images. So <laughs> well, music now I'm seeing ads for people like you want to, want to produce your own single here, just type in a few. What the hell is that? Yeah. Yeah. Here's some drums. Like, Make the drums. Sound like is, Link I don't, I genuinely don't get it. What is the point of producing a song where all you did was, was put in a few prompts in what sense is that your song? It's, it's nothing. It's merely a, a, a conglomeration of borrowed, stolen mm-hmm. stuff from other people. I just, I don't get it. It almost feels like you should be walking up to it and sticking quarters into it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and having it spit something out. Right. So it feels right. like it, it should be that kind of machine where it's, you know, yeah. you, you're losing that, uh, that, that difference. But 
I, I mean, for all of that part of it, I, I completely understand that some of the innovations and some of the you know medical discoveries and all those things. I think that that's awesome. Oh, of course, of love, course, yeah. love that part of the whole thing. But yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, there's definitely got to have to it has to be something done, and and uh, mm. you know, I don't know. I mean, that's it's interesting. I mean, at some point, AJ, you might be able to just stick all of your books in there and just say, "Hey, write me this next novel in my voice and." <laughs> <laughs> in my tone right yeah. and then that's worrying though, isn't it? yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean i, I so yeah. like i was i was doing I, I use it for a couple things research you know getting ready for just to, to speak with you and one of the funny things is is like all right tell me you know okay secret machines wins you know the dates when it came out and was published and you know all those things and it said okay yeah secret machines book three um came out in 2022 and um yeah it said uh some pretty, pretty funny stuff. It said that, um, what's the name of it? It even gave it a name and it had like this whole synopsis of it. And Man. yeah. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta put my glasses on because I, I wanted to share it with you. It's like, yeah. Secret machines book three, black matter, 2022. Uh, the latest installment focuses on the nature of time travel, dimensional realities, and the possibility of alternate versions of history. Yeah. And it, it said, uh, yeah, that was, that was the book. That was book three that came out in 2022. AJ is called black matter. In uh, those those things, I mean, it's not a bad title, but um, <laughs> it's but, like where did uh, it come up with it? I was like, what does no, that even not. mean? But I've done that. I've occasionally sort of, you know, I I asked some AI program to produce a, a biography of me, right? And it was amazing the extent to which it got stuff wrong. Really? Yes, it yeah. invented things. It, it created a wife. With who had a completely different biography and name, just like just not, it's not even that hard to find this stuff out. That's right? to scrape the internet. It's right. It's on your website, probably. But yeah, exactly. It's like it's not that difficult. How can you get this so badly wrong? Yeah. And worries me, of course, is that these things then become self-replicating. The more bad information they spit out, the more that gets fed into other searches and and. At some point, we lose the capacity to to distinguish real stuff from fake. Yeah, and I, yeah. yeah, we're getting close to it. You know, that's yeah. that's it. But I don't know. Black matter. There you go. I'll uh... <laughs> 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 yes. time time travel and all alternate realities of of historical realities. There you go. Yeah. And on that note, I'm probably going to have to take off. No, I appreciate all of the time. Thank you so much. Sure, I, I appreciate the time and everything. And um, Obviously, excited about all the new stuff. I'm going to be probably first in line to get the you know the preprint copy of of Trinity if that happens. If it goes through that whole thing again, hopefully time keeps that whole thing going where you get to autograph a whole bunch. And, and yeah, stuff. I don't know what their plans are, but I mean we have a publication date. I'm sure there's going to be stuff coming out hopefully soon, um, which you know details more about when it'll be available and all the rest of it. But yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's already on for, available for pre-order on Amazon and, and all the other. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's already out there. I mean, you can go you can go grab it. It's just interesting to see how that the publishers just do that, and everybody else is like. But like you said, it's interesting to to also see the other side where a book sits for six months or longer when when the mm -hmm. slow wheels of of publishing. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what? So just as maybe for my own edifice, <laughs> like a, a budding writer, what's the best advice? Publish it yourself, do your own thing. What, what do you say as after all the years and your experience of doing it all? I think, uh, I think m the most successful writers that I know, unless they are household names, mm -hmm. 
odd doing some sort of hybrid between traditional publishing and either self-publishing or small press. Um, with self-publishing, obviously, you have total freedom to produce whatever you want to produce, right. but you're also entirely responsible for marketing and all the rest of it. And there's so much stuff. And again, the AI issue is going to make it even harder. Right. There right. Are, I don't know how many millions of books come out each year, but it's a, it's, it's a massive number. Right. And so, you know, it's easy to produce a book. The hard thing is discoverability, making it visible. Right, right. You know, um, and at least with traditional presses, though they don't always do a great job, uh, there is some sense of of some visibility. You know, practically right. everybody I know who has a traditional publishing contract is—I don't want to oversimplify it. Most of the most of the writers I know who have traditional publishing contracts with particularly big New York houses sell more books gotcha. than okay. people who are self-publishing, unless you're one of those self-publishing people who's producing like a book a month mm, okay. or a dedicated readership who are passionate, and particularly in certain kinds of genre like romance, right. where people are cranking out these things. That's not something I would ever want to do personally. <laughs> yeah, right, um, right. But some people have real dedicated fan bases and make a, a decent living that way. Um, but I think for most self-published authors, usually the numbers are lower. Right. Gotcha. So the the hybrid, the small press, the something. The hybrid, I think. I mean, that's. I mean, I don't really self-publish, but I do. Yeah. You know, some stuff with big presses and some stuff with small presses basically depending on who wants what, because I'm not writing to the market. I'm writing, as we said, yeah. kind of what I feel like writing. Right. Sometimes big publishers don't want what I'm producing, you know? I mean, with Hideki, people just didn't really know what to do with it. They And at the time when I first submitted the novel, they were not certain how to handle or not really interested in representation of mixed race characters. Really? Yeah, not really, no. Huh. No. They, they had very specific ideas for the kinds of story that they wanted. Part of the myth is that, you know, people think, oh, well, suddenly um, publishing is really interested in in writers of color and things like mm. that. Right. It's not really true, you mm. know, that there are they reserve certain slots. Wow. Um, for those kind of books, but they don't treat those books as appealing to whatever mainstream readers. Wow. Interesting. So, and they've already yeah. created the slots for it. And if you're somewhere outside of that boundary, right. you just can't, there's so, no place for it. Right. Yeah. So, so a lot of writers of color find themselves fighting for a very limited number of slots within a, on a publisher's list. Um, uh, and that's a damn shame. You know, yeah. Yeah. Honestly. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I I use, at the moment I I use both. If uh, if I sell a book to a big house like Tor or Penguin or whatever, fine. Right. And if I don't, then I'll go with a smaller house if you know if that fits it. So that that's cool. Well, that's good. And I didn't know that about the publish the publishers and and how that fits. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of. I mean, that's probably explains a lot of the pseudonyms and some of the ghostwriting and some of the other things because of because of that reason right there, right? Because right. of the inherent um, genre pigeonholing that they put you in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That's kind of a shitty thing. Hate to end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> All part of reality. It is. It is. Well, we got we got good things coming up though. We got we got Trinity, which we can't talk about. We got this other thing that we that you're doing, we can't talk about it all. And then then then, then another thing that you, you you know you might be able to talk about at some point. And there's the you know TV series for both. You know, I'm thinking ahead that you might have one of the best weeks ever. You might get the <laughs> the news that cathedrals of glass is picked up for the tv that uh secret machines and then uh, steeplejack Steeple finally, finally all, yeah, at the same time have, well that would be a big week yeah <laughs> <laughs> then you're gonna be like right in the same boat shit now what do i do <laughs> right right except of course that i wouldn't actually have to do anything i just sort of <laughs> sit back and take the money <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that <laughs> Uh, thank you so so much man i really appreciate it appreciate it thanks man